Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Today I have with me Becky Rasmussen, who is a victim advocate and also the executive director of Call to Freedom. In a nutshell, the purpose of this ministry is to help navigate a healthy path for victims of sex and labor trafficking. Trauma exists in many forms, yet even when those affected are removed or their loved ones are removed from these awful circumstances, scars and hurt remain. Becky's call to action began with her desire to free those in bondage. And the book, Call to Freedom, subtitled A Parent's Guide to Understanding Human Trafficking and Healing Their Children, is the result of her many years of running this ministry. Becky, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. All right. The presenting question I would like to discuss with you is this. What hope is there for victims who have come out of human trafficking in some way, shape, or form? But before we directly go to that question, I'd like you to give an overview or a summary of the magnitude and scope of this ongoing atrocity. Yeah, when, um, so I actually called a freedom founded it in 2016. And when I entered into the call, I never knew the need would be so great. One of the things that we first began to realize is that uh, victims of, of trafficking don't come out of circumstances until they know that they have two needs that are met, and that's basic needs and safety. And if an organization cannot provide that, victims never leave those circumstances. There's a stat that one to three percent of victims are ever identified, um, and there's a variety of different reasons for that. And as we began this journey uh, in 2016 um, with Call to Freedom, I began to realize that this was so much deeper um, than just a call. Uh, individuals that are in human trafficking are controlled into those environments um, by a variety of different ways. And they also know that if an organization cannot provide um, that safety and, and the resources they need, that they are better not leaving those situations because if they were to be found again and pulled back into those situations, it would be very awful for them. And so as we have journeyed this and we've added more staff, we started simply with volunteers today. Call to Freedom has 20, uh, 26 staff members that are doing this work. Um, we've seen on an average about a 52% increase from year to year of survivors walking through the doors. And they know survivors of trafficking or victims of trafficking know if an organization is equipped to help them or not um, and if it's safe for them to leave. And as we have developed our programming to have comprehensive services to meet the full needs of trafficking survivors, um, we have found that more and more are coming to the doors of Call to Freedom because they're able to find that safety, um, be able to regain their uh, freedom and, and to have essentially what you said at the beginning, hope. 
This has been going on for years. Human trafficking was only put into federal statute early 2000s, but it's been happening for many, many years. We've never just put a face to it, nor have we been educated on how to best identify uh, human trafficking. And human trafficking is not only sex trafficking, it is also labor trafficking. And if the use of force, fraud, or coercion is utilized in uh, an exploitation case of sex or labor, we're talking about human trafficking elements. One of the things that has been so um, eye-opening to me is that a lot of times individuals that are in those circumstances don't self-identify as human trafficking victims. It usually takes a first responder, maybe a domestic violence shelter, emergency department, law enforcement, those that are coming in contact with vulnerable population to really identify a situation and help that person understand that they didn't make that choice because traffickers are very, very good at manipulating and grooming their victims to think that they are choosing this lifestyle when in all actuality it's, it's comes to human trafficking. And so, um, we are, we haven't even scratched the surface of how much this is happening within our communities because of the lack of education and the ability to identify and also because victims don't self-identify a lot of times in those cases. So how did you get started in this? I mean, uh, on your promotional materials, you have the famous quote from William Wilberforce. You may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. How did you get into this arena and decide I can't look away? Yeah, I was uh, in prayer. Um, I had actually done and had been exposed to human trafficking work about um, in 2011 and something just stirred inside of me. I am a, a faith woman. Um, I knew God had called me to a purpose. I just didn't know what that looked like. Um, had it stirring in my heart since 2011. The timing was not right. Um, and they felt that stirring come back up again in 2015. And I was in prayer and I just um, went to my pastor and I said, I think I'm supposed to do this. I don't know where to start. And she said, find out what foundation has been laid. And so I got in connection with a, a local organization that was doing more ministry work versus some of that larger nonprofit service-based work um, with anti-human trafficking or with human trafficking victims. And so I ended up in Sturgis, South Dakota. And if you're not familiar with the Sturgis Rally, um, it's usually in August in South Dakota, and it attracts anywhere to 400 to 600,000, depending on the year, bikers from all over the United States. And so they come to uh, the small community for a biker rally, which is about seven days long. And we know that anytime you have large events, usually there is also the ability for illegal organizations to make a lot of money. And long story short, I was doing some outreach with this local organization um, in Sturgis, South Dakota in 2015. And I had an encounter with a young girl who looked very vulnerable, who was out on the streets during the rally. And I just felt compelled to have a conversation with her. And so I didn't know her. I walked up, I introduced myself and she was very, um, didn't make a lot of eye contact with me, was very scared, didn't say a lot of words. So I knew something wasn't right. Um, I just didn't know exactly what was happening to Marissa at that time. We had about a five to 10 minute conversation 
And her last words were to me, you have no idea what kind of day I've had. You have no idea. And she ran off. Uh, I found out through another organization that was doing a search and rescue um, in Sturgis for missing kids, which they say when there's missing kids happening from a four to five state radius at uh, events, as there's typically a human trafficking that's attached to that as well. And um, I found out that this young girl had been identified and went missing again. And she wasn't listed. She was listed in the book as missing um, and had been found, but went missing again. And I began to ask the questions. How do you find um, how does a young girl who was missing um, come out of that and then fall back into it? And they began to tell me about the vulnerabilities within communities and that there weren't very many service providers for human trafficking victims or kids that were um, exploited. And I didn't, couldn't let that go. Um, and I went back and I just started to pray. And I realized I could be that person who started to um, understand that something in our community wasn't happening, that was happening that wasn't well. Um, I could either do something about it or I could just stand by and be watching this and, and not. And I couldn't let it go. So we founded Calder Freedom in uh, January of 2016 and opened our first office in March of 2016. And survivors started to find us. Um, we just started simply with volunteers and um, today we serve over, um, that have walked through the doors of Call to Freedom since 2016. Almost a thousand individuals have walked through our doors and it's not stopping. Again, we've seen about 52% increase from year to year of clients walking through our doors and we're beginning to realize that this is business. And when people can make a lot of money off of selling a human being, business is going to continue. Um, and so we need to make sure that victims have the ability to find safety and to get out of those situations. So when people say, why did you choose this? I don't think I chose this. I believe God chose this for me. And I'm just walking out his calling. And I can tell you this, I wouldn't do it without the Lord guiding me every step of the way, because this is very difficult work. Yes, I can imagine. Um, so one of the things, let me just comment on what you just said, because you said a lot. A lot of people say, I'll pray about it. Well, you prayed about it, and then there was a nudge, and then there was an opportunity, right? And instead of saying, well, I'll continue to pray about it, you did something. And my guess is over this seven-year period, you probably said, that worked, that didn't work. Okay, I don't think I would do that again. I think we can do this better. So a lot of people think you start when you have all your ducks in a row. And um, in my experience, that's just not the case. And so I like the fact that you talk about a call to action because just having that conversation with Marissa, who knows what happened? Maybe you do know what happened to Marissa, but there was someone who cared. And somewhere in the recesses of her mind, there was someone who cared. Yeah. I think that is one of the greatest gifts that we, um, through Call to Freedom, that we have the ability to provide hope to those that are in hopeless situations. I, I can tell you this. I would not do this work without the Lord and the doors that he has opened and the ability, uh, his grace upon what we do and, and how we do it. Um, I couldn't do it without him. And I know whose ministry this is, and it's not mine. It's right. his. And... Um, but when you have a call on your life, 
and you believe that God's calling you into something, he doesn't give you the master plan of what it looks like. He asks you to step out in faith. He asks you to to trust him in that process. And if you don't get your feet moving and begin to take some steps to action, um, nothing ever happens. And God only works through people. And so here we are, the ability to say that we could have done something or say the ability that we did do something. And when God calls you, he definitely equips you. Yes. So I'm glad you talked about or acknowledge the fact that you couldn't do this without a faith in Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, this isn't the first time I've been exposed to this subject. For whatever reason, God put it on my heart about eight years ago to start reading books, watching videos, exploring things like that. And I'll be honest, it can turn your stomach when you discover some of the things that happen to people, how they're manipulated. And so I imagine that without the sword of the spirit, (laughs) you would be just as vulnerable spiritually and mentally if you weren't equipped that God is the one driving this ministry. Yeah. I think um, when that sparked in my heart in 2011, God knew I wasn't ready. Um, I think if I would have stepped out at that moment in time, um, I probably would have gotten eaten up and spitten out. <laughs> I mean, literally, I would not have survived. And I know that. And he definitely took me through a journey in my personal life to equip me to be able to withstand um, not only the stories we hear, um, the helplessness that we feel as advocates sometimes in situations, but also to be able to sustain the the spiritual battles that are attached to this full circle of, of human trafficking. Um, and God knows, I mean, we see a lot of um, different organizations that just don't survive. And God has to be behind organizations that are doing this work for you to survive and to be successful. Things happen with us and God opens doors that I am not that smart or equipped <laughs> to be able to do, but he is, and he knows that we're willing. And so he, he can work through people, but, or to surrender that to him and to always realize that it, the I am is in charge and it's not me, it's him that the I am is and that, um, he can take situations that seem extremely hopeless. And he can intervene and he can change um, to his glory. And I know that this is such a burden on his heart. I feel it in prayer. I sense it in the the urgency that God gives us in, in creating. I mean, Cult of Freedom has expanded so quickly. And we have built homes and fundraised and built homes in less than two years that doesn't happen in normal nonprofits. And so God is very intentional. He's very, um, he wants to set the captives free and he continues to provide us with the resources, uh, the wisdom and the ability to be able to do that. And uh, we would not have grown this quickly without his grace. Yes, I agree. And I've seen that in other ministries as well. Now, the book I referenced called Call to Freedom sort of an interesting, I don't know, I don't think I've ever read a book quite like this that had so many different voices in it. But not only do you have, which I think is probably your voice in a lot of places, talking about the overall picture, but then you include a grandmother who um, had a burden for her granddaughter 
and the before, during, and after, and learning how to maneuver through those waters. And then you also have testimony of people who have been through the the awful experience. And it seems that your um, thrust is not to dismiss their trauma, but not to have them live in victimhood. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, um, I, God has, you know, you'll hear from Mary later and, and Ruth is not on the show, but Ruth was a grandmother of the first survivor to ever walk through the doors of Calder Freedom. And to watch God, um, restore not only this young girl's life, but also to restore her family has been a gift and is very humbling to be a part of, um, because that's not always the end of the story for, for victims of trafficking. And so what I want to make sure to do is, you know, some people then their victimization feel called to make change through sharing their story. Some do not. And that's really up to the people who walk through the doors of call to freedom. But when I begin to recognize that part of their call or their gifting is to give back or contribute to the cause, um, and that might be just being on our program development committee where they help so everything that is in call to freedom as far as program is vetted through survivors. And so we have survivors who offer their input into our program development of call to freedom's continuum of care model. And, you know, some people are okay just serving in that capacity, but as their gifts begin to go grow, their confidence begins to grow. I begin to realize that they, they're called to this. And, uh, Ruth and Mary, who you'll hear from are called to this. And so for me, the greatest gift that I can give to somebody, um, I've had some good leaders in my life. I've had some bad leaders in my life. If I can speak and help them develop their gifts for the greater good of the kingdom, um, there's nothing like that. And so I have had the privilege to come alongside Ruth and, and work with her to develop her gift to share her voice as a family member of a loved one who has been victimized. And I've had the privilege to work with Mary to be able to help her share her voice um, and realize that her call is much greater than probably mine <laughs> right, <laughs> to right. hear that and to offer hope. But one of the, one of the most amazing pieces of that is to see when a victim walks through the door and I, I call in survivors to be that hope. So a lot of times we'll have emergency situations where, um, survivors will come in. They don't trust anyone. Um, they're victims at that time. They're in the midst of this crisis and they're looking for help to get out. They're scared. Um, they're, they're in survival mode. And I will call, you know, Ruth or, or, um, uh, Mary and say, Hey, I got somebody I would like you to meet. And when they walk in the door and they begin to share their brief story with, these young individuals that are young or maybe older that are being victimized by trafficking, I have seen tears break where they said, you mean I can survive? You mean you survived cartel? Does that mean I can too? Um, to see Ruth come in, sorry, and talk to a, a parent where they don't know how to control what's happening to their child because the trafficker is so manipulative and is drawing them to themselves that they think that they're never going to have their daughter or son back. And to see Ruth come in and say, you know what, I have my granddaughter back. And today she's doing this. 
and that there is hope. There is, there's nothing like a survivor representing a, a lived experience walking into a room to another victim that they're in the midst of it saying, you can too. And there's power in that. And so in this book, is an amazing insight that everyone needs to get their hands on this book. Even if you're, you know, just to learn about trauma and victimization and what that could look like, um, that you have individuals who have lived through horrific situations and they've survived and they are imparting into you wisdom that traffickers don't want you to know. They don't want you to know these things about how to identify and how to relate to survivors because that's how they control them. And so the insight in the book, um, Calder Freedom's A Parent's Guide to Human Trafficking and Healing Their Children, I think is going to be a game changer um, for a lot of people who don't have hope today. And I think the other part of this is when we were developing this book, I had originally asked Ruth to just develop a resource guide for parents because we I was fielding calls from Florida, Michigan, all over the United States, and we're here in South Dakota. I heard about your organization. I heard you you know what this human trafficking is. This is happening to my daughter or my son. Uh, we're seeing uh, this increase of boys right now, victimization of boys. And I knew that this book had to get out and get into the hands of people that feeling like they had no hope or they couldn't control what was happening to their loved one. And that's how this book came to life is Ruth started writing it and gathering this resource guide. And after she um, put this together, she said, I think I feel like God's telling us that we need to publish this and get this in the hands of as many people as we can so that we can help bring hope, but also prevention, intervention, and restoration um, through the book and the insight that's in this book to those that are being victimized. Yes. I, and I, and I, the book did do that. I read it and it did support everything you just said. I think because we live in a media age and there have been movies or, or documentaries on things. It's very easy for people to think it's just one kind of person or one kind of family that gets involved with this. And it's not. Everybody has their own circumstance. So I think that's why people have decided it's not a big deal. I don't see it. Mm-hmm. But it sort of reminds me, Becky, you know, I remember the first time we ever had a Volvo, right? It's like, oh, I had a Volvo. This is new. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden I started seeing all these Volvos on the street. And I'm like, were there always this many Volvos? I mean, I never noticed it. Well, you don't notice it until you know what to look for. So educating yourself on what it looks like if someone is in a bad situation and then knowing that, no, you're not necessarily going to take on a cartel by yourself. But going back to that Wilberforce quote, if you know something, now it behooves you to find out where you can get the good help. And so I'm sure the first question people are asking is, how do I prevent my children from being trafficked? Let's talk about that so that people get an idea of where the vulnerabilities are. Yeah. So education is key. Um traffickers, I think, first of all, before we get into how do you prevent, you have to understand how this is facilitated. These are a lot of times in prostitution or in cases where people are buying people. 
a lot of times they might be willing or and other times they may not be willing individuals. And so this is a business. And so trafficking is really facilitated by this demand. These people who are buying or want pornography pictures, they want nudie pictures, or they just simply want to have sex or exploit your person for for labor, um, those are vulnerabilities. There's a demand. So the demand creates this business model that the traffickers who are the business facilitators begin to um, facilitate because they can make a lot of money off of this. And what happens is that these traffickers and, and the demand love the fact that nobody wants to talk about this because it creates this perfect storm of people who are naive to understanding human trafficking or understanding how it's even facilitated. So understanding that this business person is going to fill the demand. And so if the demand wants a blue-eyed, blonde-haired girl who's a middle class, does not have addictions, is not homeless, that trafficker is going to say, all right, I got a lot of money that could be made off of this particular demographic. So they go into places that you wouldn't expect online. They're going into, you know, marriage groups. They're going into schools. They are, this is a business that they facilitate. And there's usually not just one person that's involved with this business transaction. And I hate to make it sound like a commodity as a human being, but honestly, this is how they look at it. That human being does not have any self-worth any value. They strictly are looking at the money. And so humanity has lost all of its its um, beauty in this whole process. And so one of the things that people think is I'm not, you know, my child isn't going to fall to that. I'm a Christian household where we, you know, we're very solid family. You go through a divorce and that child is somehow not feeling like they're belonging at that point in time. They put out on social media Hey, um, my family doesn't, I don't feel loved by my family. Traffickers are looking for vulnerabilities in conversations with these young kids. Um, and so they then begin to say, great, I've identified this person and they start to have a conversation with them. And their goal is to fill that void or that vulnerability within that young person to draw them to them to facilitate this business. The, the, um, taken that you see that where they talk about, you know, the kidnapping, you know, trafficking does happen that way sometimes, but today it's more manipulative. They have a process that they call grooming where they, um, and we prefer to call it manipulation that they draw that victim to themselves. And I've had parents call me and say, Hey, my child met this person on an online game and they are providing them with a one way ticket to Florida. What's going on? And I, we start to unfold this um, game that this person is playing to draw this young boy to them. And we begin to find out that the intentions were not good. And so they are very good at connecting with that, whatever the demand wants, they're going to find. So I tell parents, um, this is a lot of money has been making, being made right now. Boys are a huge target in the sextortion business right now. It is rampant um, and there aren't very many services for young boys. And so it could start with them asking for pictures of nudie pictures of them um, posing as a woman who's interested in this young boy. And then they come to find out once they send these pictures that this person is a male. And now he says, I'm going to tell everybody that you're gay because you just sent me these pictures. 
send me more pictures or go get your mom's credit card and come back and, and they, um, charge up the credit card. Uh, a lot of times that, that, that is classified because under the age of 18, forced fraud and coercion does not need to be proven in cases under the age of 18. So long story short, there are many ways that this business is facilitated. And if the demand is looking for somebody, um, who fits the profile, um, and the business person is going to find that profile of what the demand wants, we're all vulnerable and they love naive people because, um, you'll hear from Mary's story. Um, she was a Midwestern girl, graduated from a local college, uh, Christian college here in town. And, um, she was just naive to a lot of situations and was pulled into circumstances she couldn't turn back from. And so in this, um, we, the trainings are really crucial, understanding what trafficking looks like today, how it's facilitated, and then how to provide safety to your children. And really, honestly, it's being involved. Be involved with what your children are doing. Know who they're talking to on social media. Know who to, they're talking to within their schools, who their friends are, uh, because traffickers can recruit in many different ways. And I would say that, at least for my listeners, they're very much as a group against putting your children in state schools because of all the influences and all the isms that are being thrown upon them in the curriculum and in the social setting that um it's very easy to fit into the paradigm of a misunderstood teen. And I think that's promoted in storylines. And I don't think this has been something that's been true throughout human history. The whole idea of adolescence and adolescent angst probably is as much of a creation of um people trying to separate families, people trying to have there be a generation gap. Um, these are things that sort of entered into the vernacular mid 20th century and more than ever, having a good family life grounded on truth, and of course, you and I would agree that that would be based on Christianity, allows people to realize that, yes, you may be feeling bad today, you may feel like your parents don't love you, et cetera, et cetera, but you need a bigger context, and that context is what the Word of God gives you. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that, and so I think your ministry is very important because yes, we would all like a perfect world, yeah, but we don't have one just yet. And so um, it, it involves people recognizing the good, the bad, and the ugly, and deciding that this is a person whose burden I can help carry. Yeah, yeah, it's a very different world. There's a lot of broken families today. There's a lot of negative influences in many different avenues, including, you know, schools, social media. Um, what we grew up with is not the normal anymore, it seems like. And, and it's really hard, especially for youth to feel like they're the abnormal. Um, you know, I remember my daughter being in high school and she was like, I just don't fit in. I don't want to drink. I don't want to party. I don't want to do those things. And, and she felt, um, that she didn't belong. It, it can easily happen in those ways because, you know, living the Christian life, especially as a youth is difficult, but God will sustain you, um, in those situations if you are, um, really drawing near to him in that as well. Okay. Now you kept making reference to, we'll hear from Mary and the 
my listeners should realize Mary is sitting in the Zoom waiting room right now. She's not hearing our conversation, but she's agreed to come in and sort of present her voice. But before we do that, Becky, I think it's important whether or not you start off with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with your survivors. I mean, first, you know, if somebody's hungry, you don't say, let me sit down and do a theology lesson. You give them something to eat. And so, but the people who minister have to believe, and this is a point that I really like you to comment on, on the sovereignty of God. It'd be so easy for someone to say, how could a good God allow this to happen to me? And yet you talk about what happens to people when they realize that their past involves a calling that they never could fulfill if God in his wisdom and foreordination didn't say, okay, this is the road I have for you. So it seems that uh, if you don't have that basis as someone who's going to help, it's very easy to get lost in the ugliness. It is. I, you know, the biggest, I would say in this circle, the biggest um is forgiveness. It's very difficult for uh, a victim survivor to forgive what the person um, that, that did this to them, number one, but also to forgive a God that, where were you when I needed you? And I tell my staff, it isn't our job to tell them what to believe or how to believe that. It's our job to model it. Because traffickers are very good at taking truth and manipulating. Um, we've had so many walk through the door who their victimization through their trafficker was spiritual in the name of Jesus. And they took a Jesus who is a, is a wonderful, um, God who loves you and they used his name in vain to make money. And so we, as, as, um, those that are leading this cause, Survivors don't want to hear what we have to say. They want to see what we do. And I want to challenge the Christian community. Um, There are a lot of circumstances that victims of human trafficking are pulled into, and they're looking for something real. They don't trust because their trust has been manipulated. And I think the greatest gift as Christians we can give to any vulnerable people is to walk it out. We can talk it, but let's walk it (laughs) because survivors watch us. They watch how we handle situations. We have, um, and I say this so humbly, um, we have organizations that say, why do they keep coming back to call to freedom? Even if they run and come back, why do they keep coming back to call to freedom? They only want to talk to call to freedom. And I go, because it's called grace. And they know that they can make mistakes and they know that we expect them to make mistakes because that's what happens with trauma. But our, our, our motto is we walk it, not talk it. And so we better show them grace and we better show them a grace that's above anything else that they've ever experienced before. And I believe that is what is the game changer in offering services is that we don't judge them. We meet them where they're at. Um, and we don't tell them what to believe. We walk life on their journey with them to show them and model something that truly, hopefully, is Christ. Now, of course, we're not perfect by right. any means, but um, I do believe that that is a big game changer in the ministry of Call to Freedom. 
try to be that grace period. So, yeah. Yeah. We're called to bear one another's burdens. And sometimes just having somebody help carry the load for a while until such time as I'll keep this metaphor going, your muscles get stronger so you can bear what burdens you have. I think then people now trust you and they respect you. And I don't think you can have any sort of teaching or influence until those two things are in place. You are exactly right. A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, before we bring Mary in, please give my listeners contact information, um, pl- where they can get the book, where they can find more about the ministry. Yeah. You know, I'm going to make it easy. Call to freedom.org. That's spelled out. Call to freedom.org. You can go order the book through Amazon on our website, but also learn about call to freedom, how you can get involved. We also are offering these parent connection classes that are in conjunction with the book. So if you want to know more and you want to zoom into those free trainings, those are all on our website under events as well. Um, please get to know us. And um, we just thank you for the opportunity to get this book into as many hands as possible. I highly recommend it. Okay, so Mary is going to join us. Hello, Mary. Hi. Um, Mary is, I guess a co-authoress of this book because your testimony, your experience is there. And Becky and I have just been discussing the overall thrust of the ministry, why it's needed, the reality that a lot of people don't want to hear about. But you fall into the category of survivor. And the word survivor implies that... um Your vision is ahead, not behind. So talk a little bit about what it's like to not live in the anger of the past, but to take your experience and bring it forward in terms of ministering to others. Yeah, it's been a really long road. Uh, When you first come out, you're a victim. And I overcame that part, knowing that I was also more than a survivor I, I wanted more out of life. I didn't want to be defined in the past, my past trauma, or the horrific things that had happened to me. And how do you turn that around? How do you turn that around for the goodness of God and for his kingdom? And knowing that you are worth it and that you're more than that. And that's a definite struggle. It took me a while. But yes, it just took this journey where the day that I surrendered, Surrendered it was like I was to God. Yeah. I've asked many survivors, what was that turning point in our lives that we were, we are more than victims, we're more defined than what happened to us. And how can we turn that around? And I remember that day that I laid on the floor, I spread my arms out. It makes me cry sometimes. But I just said, God, I am yours. I am your daughter. I don't know what to do. I don't understand myself. But I know that I'm loved. Yes. And I handed that to him. Well, the scripture says that we're more than conquerors. Um, So that's kind of a cool concept. Conquering. You know, when you think of yourself as a conqueror, that's pretty significant, but we're more than that. And the reason we're more than that is that we're now not traveling this by ourselves. We've got the Holy Spirit that um, 
makes up for the trips and falls and stumbles and doubts because it's not alone to you. And I think that's probably the biggest thing because I have a background in cults and I've talked to people who've been in abusive situations with parents, incestuous stuff. And it's so easy to take and put condemnation on yourself. And yes. that stops the process. Tell me a little bit how, um, as a result of your working with call to freedom and working with your grandmother in terms of creating this resource that God has shown you a lot about why you're even here. Yeah. I used to question that for many years. I, I went through many years of anger and wondering why me, why me? I didn't feel worthy. Uh, I didn't understand. And it took, I think, showing me and bringing hope to other men and women who have gone through horrific things. And how do you take that and turn that around? And I don't think it's like a this, quote, cookie cutter approach. We all have our own journey. We all go through things. It's like these ups and downs. But something in me... I let it and I said, I don't know how to forgive this cartel. I don't know how to move forward of what they've done to myself or my son. But I knew I couldn't give them the power and the power belongs to God and for his kingdom. And the slow sense that, especially since being with Call to Freedom for about the past, I think seven, eight years, Becky can kind of correct me on that. I was really shown so many and that I wasn't alone mm -hmm. and that I was worthy and that God did love me and I was accepted and I belonged and I didn't have to live day to day, just surviving every day. Yeah. And that power of prayer and the Holy spirit. I, I tell you what, sometimes it just puts you on fire. <laughs> you just <laughs> no, get, I get it. Like I get excited it. Um, about everything. So I'm just, I am so humbled by call, uh, call to freedom. The people have walked alongside my journey, really mentored me and shown me that, you know, you take that and that sadness and, and everything that like Satan is telling you that you're not worthy and that you don't belong and you don't matter, but you do matter. And so when I do the support groups for through Call to Freedom, also, I mentor many of, of the uh, women who come out who are just starting this journey. And they'll just look and say, how did you do it? And I'm like, it, it, it isn't easy, but, but God does have a plan for you. And that you take those steps because at the end, it's we are living for Christ. There you go. You know, as I was thinking about that, you and I would have this conversation. There are, there's the reality that everybody has some degree of trauma in their life. And it's easy to squelch it and say, well, I wasn't trafficked, so I don't have to pay attention to that. But the enemy will use whatever it is. And even if we've been on the receiving end of nasty things, we know that we're sinners and we've done some nasty things. Sometimes we did nasty things in the middle of being the victim of nasty things happening to us. And so one of the things that the enemy is very good at is accusing. But I'm sure when you go to Romans 8.1 and you read, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, it's like, do all you want. Condemn me all you want, Satan. 
the Bible says there's no condemnation for me. And you know what? That's walking by faith because you may feel condemned. I know I do a lot of times on a daily basis. I'm not worth very much. Nobody likes me. Why why do I still do the things that I don't want to do? But when you walk by faith, you remember how God views you. Amen to that. (laughs) That's all I can say because I have walked that where daily, daily, it's you're not worth it. You're ugly. You don't matter. You don't belong. Nobody likes you. Uh, You get the high anxiety. And then you realize, wait a minute, that's coming. That's not coming from God. Right. And I can turn that around. I had asked a survivor who's more than a survivor because we're overcomers that she said, well, God, I kept asking God for, for help and for help. And somebody would come in and, and, you know, I didn't want their help. I didn't want this. And I finally looked and I'm like, God, please, I'm just so tired of being tired. And the response, I mean, not audible voice, of course, but, and God responded, but I sent you five people. (laughs) Right. So it's, you, you look back and I said that to a victim coming out and she said, oh boy, I better look at who's entering my life. I said, right, right. So I have a background in having been involved in a cult for a long time. And when I first came to faith, I was asked to give my testimony in front of a group of people when I did. And this one woman came up to me afterwards and said, wow, your life was such a waste. Do you feel bad about that? And I was looking at her like, what? (laughs) First of all, the fact that anybody would say that to someone, but she did. And I said, And this was beyond my theology, Mary, at the time, but I said it, so it must have been the Holy Spirit. I said, anything that brought me to Jesus Christ is not a waste. And I'm wondering if you feel that way as well in terms of your experience. Yes, I can share a story with you. When I was in Medellin, Colombia, and the cartel was going to come and take my son, that night before, I prayed. I had asked for help. I really, I didn't get any help. I I called some big places that you would think would help an American and her son. They all turned me down. I sat outside. I held my son and I prayed. I said, God, I don't know how to get home. I have no idea. These are forces beyond what I can even understand. However, you get me home, bring, bring me home, bring, bring my son home. He answered those prayers probably wasn't the way that I would have wanted it, but it was almost like I see now that going through that and how I can take that and help others and serve others and walk alongside to bring them hope that, that you can do more than how maybe society thinks that you are, because that is not the truth. Right. And God, God will show you. Yes. If the sun shall make you free, you'll be free indeed. And that I imagine is the ultimate result when people say, I'm now ready to use my experiences for the glory of God. Yes. There is a day I, most of the survivors I talked to and overcomers, we all agreed. And this is nationwide. The day that we felt a sense of true freedom is the day that we did surrender to God. Things just changed for us. 
Uh, well, I'm going to tell you, Mary, through stuff. <laughs> it's hard to feel sorry for you <laughs> because you don't look like you want anybody to feel sorry for you. No, people don't need to. No, no. Just yeah. it's really learning and educating and knowing that this happens. It happens in every state. And um, I I know people from all over the United States and, and the world. So this is something that's happening. It's happening in our towns and our rural communities and educate and, and know that it's there and not bury your head to say it doesn't exist because I would have been considered the girl next door. I went to a Christian high school. I went to a Christian college. Um, started out, I wanted to be a nun. So from that experience and, and leaving the borders of South Dakota, I was very vulnerable. I wanted to belong and have friends. I didn't feel accepted. Uh, those were just things that had to do with my own family and why I left. Yeah. But this can happen. Human trafficking, sex and labor trafficking doesn't know any boundaries. There's a lot more vul- vulnerabilities, but it just doesn't know any boundaries. Yeah. But yes, Andrea, you do not have to feel sorry. No, for I'm me. sorry. I can't <laughs> even muster it up talking to you because that's not what you emote. So that's very good. Well, ladies, thank you, thank you very much for sharing this time. Call to Freedom is where you can get a hold of the book and get more information. And there may be some who are listening who say, yeah, this is what God wants me to do. And I can tell that um, both of you are eager for more partners in this journey. All right. We would love, yeah, we want people to come alongside. It, it doesn't take um, individuals. It takes a community and a community needs to say no more. Um, and I think one of the things I remember is a survivor saw a billboard when I was taking her to the emergency department and she looked at me with tears in her eyes and she says, they do believe us mm-hmm. and survivors and victims that are in those situations want to be believed. And when a community comes together and rallies behind it, that shows them that they're believed. Very good. Well, As always, listeners, any comments about this discussion or anything in the future, you can reach me at out of the question podcast at gmail.com. And I'm very grateful for getting to meet both of you women. And uh, let's see what God has in store for us in the future. Yes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to out of the question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.